This is Physician to Physician Plant-Based Nutrition. I'm Tracy Cushing, an emergency medicine physician. I'm also a mom, a wife, four-time Ironman, and I've been plant-based for 11 years. And I'm Eden English. I'm an internal medicine physician, a hiker, a ski boarder, a mom, and I've been vegan for the last five years. We're passionate about helping other doctors learn the science behind plant-based eating so they can help their patients develop sustainable, healthy eating habits. Each episode, we're breaking down the science behind plant-based eating and answering the questions we know most doctors have and most patients ask. Hi, Eden. Hi, Tracy. Welcome to our next episode. Today, we are going to be talking about protein. Where do we get it? Do vegans get enough? How much do we really need? And are some of our favorite sources for getting it? So we're recording this episode just after Thanksgiving. So I'd like to know, Eden, what did you use for protein on Thanksgiving? It's a great question. And we have so much fun. This was our fifth Thanksgiving as vegans. And my husband has gotten really good at making a seitan roast. So he makes the seitan, which is just vital wheat gluten, but it's 70% protein. So it's 20 grams and three ounces. It's a lot of protein. And he makes that himself. And then he wraps it up with mushrooms and leeks and a bunch of spices in the middle and a mushroom gravy. Really fantastic. And tons of protein. What about you, Tracy? What was your protein source? We also went with seitan this year, though. To be fair, we got a commercially prepared seitan roast from Native Foods uh, called a Wellington, and it was fantastic, also with mushroom gravy. Um, and we put field roast sausages, which are also made of vital wheat gluten, in our um, stuffing as well. So we had a high-protein-packed Thanksgiving this year. And just as a shout out while we're chatting about the th stuff, it's not just about your main protein source. I mean, potatoes have protein, all the vegetables you have have protein, your grains have protein. So everybody thinks about the centerpiece, the meat being the protein source. But one thing we'll hit on a few times during this episode is almost everything you eat has some protein. So you don't need to look just to meat. Protein's everywhere. It's in the grains, it's in the potatoes, it's in the vegetables. So there's tons of different protein in our Thanksgiving meals and all our meals. That's a great point. We put just a handful of pumpkin seeds on top of our butternut squash soup, and that has a phenomenal amount of protein in it. In fact, 32 um, grams per three ounces. So that's amazing. Um, who knew? So there are lots and lots of ways to get adequate amounts of protein, and we're here to kind of review some of the data and the literature on just that. One of the reasons we wanted to chat about this today is as a vegan and as a parent of vegan children, it is very frustrating when doctors ask me where I get my protein or ask my kids if they have an adequate protein intake because they're vegan, because I feel like that's something providers should really have a better handle on. And the question can be asked differently. Instead of if somebody comes into your office and they're vegan or plant-based, don't start with, do you get enough protein? Because that's going to give them the wrong impression. You might want to ask them something more like, do you eat plenty of whole grains and beans rather than just asking, where do you get your protein? Because for, for vegans or plant-based people, that question has a lot of frustration with it. We get it a lot. We get it day in, day out. And it really is something that healthcare professionals should have an answer to. We as healthcare professionals should be able to say we've got enough protein from X, Y, and Z without eating meat. So we hopefully this podcast will help you get a better handle on 
what you really need to be asking your plant-based patients because they almost certainly are getting enough protein if they're eating a balanced vegan diet. So it's really not about where do you get your protein? It's are you eating a balanced diet or are you vegan and eating nothing but Oreos? That's really what you want to watch out for. And just to dovetail on that, there are plenty of uh, examples in the animal kingdom of herbivorous animals that have lots and lots of muscle, right? Like gorillas are not lacking in muscle and protein and, you know, neither are many other herbivorous animals. And so all of those creatures get protein sources just from plants. And so we know that it's not only possible and as well, you can find many examples of folks on the internet that are plant-based and actually competing in professional you know, muscle, whatever they're called. I don't know what those what those things are called, but like, you know, the professional muscle man and muscle woman competitions. And these people are phenomenal athletes with tons and tons of muscle. And so it's also a myth that you need to consume meat at every meal in order to have muscle and be an athlete or, or any of that stuff. So there's a lot of myths out there. Um, and this is just a very small intro into debunking a few of those. Um, and I think starting with how much protein do you actually need, right? So what is a healthy amount of protein to eat? What does a human body need in order to function? Um, and again, my, my favorite article, the Eat Lancet Commission, uh, their baseline healthy diet that they developed to sustain a planet of 10 billion people in good health was 2,500 kilocalories of energy per day. And they used 0.8 grams per kilogram of protein per day as the requirement which is about 56 grams a day for a 70 kilogram individual, okay, 56 grams. Now, most Americans weigh more than 70 kilograms, but we shouldn't really be eating based on our obese weight. We should really be eating based on our ideal weight. And 56 grams a day is about half of what most Americans are eating anyway. So we're probably all eating a little more protein than we actually need. Very true. And it really becomes important. I think most of us are aware that too much protein can do bad things. We don't really know exactly what that, where that fine line is, but for things like liver or kidney issues, protein can't be stored. So excess protein doesn't get stored. It gets processed by the liver and kidneys and then sent back out. And that work is possibly what's putting the extra strain on the kidneys for high protein diets. So too much is really not a great thing. You are putting extra strain on your kidneys. It is probably why high protein diets work because you can't store that protein as fat, but that doesn't mean it's a healthy way to do it. You're putting a lot of strain on your liver and kidneys to process all the extra food you're eating and then just shoot it back out. That 0.8 number that equates to 56 for a 70 kilogram man is plenty. If you look at 60 grams of protein a day as a target, that is great. You will get plenty and you probably won't overshoot. I don't like telling patients you need to count your protein and track it, but I do like using that number as something that if you're worried that if you go plant-based, you won't get enough protein, do get one of the trackers, any of them, my fitness pal, tap and track, whatever. Track your protein intake, put everything you eat into it for a day or two. And I promise you're going to be way over that 60 grams a day. So it's really about all the sources of your protein and then being able to easily get up to that number. One of the posts that we want to talk about today, too, is actually a blog post um, by Dr. McDougall. He posted it in 2007. So it's not new information. 
And Dr. McDougall goes into a lot of detail about where our initial protein requirements came from, why we had those numbers in the first place, what we've done since research-wise, and sort of breaking it down even more. There was a lot of discussion about complete proteins at one point. So there was a push that you can only get complete proteins from animals. And that myth was debunked. Um, It is not accurate. I like to think of it, I'm a biochem major, so I like to think about the process of it, how you form proteins and use them in your body. And if you eat a steak, you don't take that steak and pass the protein whole and intact through your digestive tract and shove it into your muscle to build on to the muscle protein you've got. You break it down into its amino acids. And then if you need to add protein into your muscle, you amino acid by amino acid, build that protein and then add it. So we don't need to eat a whole protein. We need to eat the amino acids. And plants have all the amino acids. And it may be that a certain green bean doesn't have all 20 amino acids. But if you eat that green bean on top of couscous, you're great. You've got a mix. You're going to break it down and rebuild the protein anyway. So it's really, there is no need to eat a complete protein source. Protein sources are complete. They all have the amino acids and you'll get there. So to your point, Eden, about complete protein sources and amino acids, do vegans and vegetarians get enough protein in their diet and correct protein? And so one study that was a review article that looked just at that is the Mariotti study published in 2019. And they looked at the various amounts of protein in an Adventist group diet. So there were some non-vegetarians as well. And there were those that ate just plant protein and some that had that consumed dairy and soy as their main protein sources. And basically what they found was that, A, as we already know, that dietary research is difficult to do. And a lot of this was retrospective and recall. But in this sample, the average intake was actually higher than the required daily amount. So it was about 0.99 or, you know, 100 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is about double what is needed. And uh, however, there was a subgroup, about 16% of the males and 8% of the females that were below 0.66 grams per day. For the vegan and the vegetarian subgroups, The fifth percentile values for the vegan population were 54 grams a day in non-vegetarians, 53 grams a day in lacto-ovo-vegetarians, and 52 grams a day in vegans. And so compared to the non-vegetarians, that's only two grams per day less in the vegan well-balanced diet in terms of protein intake. So there was really no difference in the groups. We're probably underestimating vegan protein intake based on the collection methods in this, but it showed at a minimum, even with some underestimates, vegans are getting adequate amounts of protein in their diets as compared to non-vegetarians, at least in this population study. I think that's a great point, Tracy. And just to add on to that, one of the things that they said and that you just mentioned was that the collection method isn't adequate to assess vegan protein. Because we do eat so many things like chia seeds or flax seeds, and we bake that in, and we may not know how many tablespoons we ate in a day, and it may not even come out in the questionnaire, but a tablespoon of flax seeds has five grams of protein. So if you're throwing that in your smoothie every day, you're building up pretty quickly. The fact that maybe 16% of males were a little bit low on their protein in this study, I suspect is really more, they couldn't accurately measure it than a true protein deficiency. But we'll do a show later about specifically elderly and young kids and where they might need a little bit more protein and how to check on that. But for the general population, we are getting enough protein as our message. 
like Tracy said, everybody straight vegans, lacto ovo, pesco, whatever you're eating, you're getting well over that 60 grams a day, somewhere between the 60 and 80 grams a day, which is plenty of protein. One other thing that's actually important, I think, to point out is if you're looking to get enough protein for your health, then it's important to, to look at the source of protein. One of the studies that does a great job talking about this is by Song et al., the Association of Animal and Plant Protein Intake with All-Cause and Cause-Specific Mortality, um, published in JAMA Internal Medicine in 2016. It's a prospective cohort study looking at a large number of people and the differences in what kind of protein they were consuming and their mortality. It was 131,000 participants from the Nurses' Health Study which is a, just a huge number. And the data spanned two years, 2014 to 2016. And it, the cohorts basically included 3 million person years of follow-up based on that number and 36,000 deaths. And so it was a huge number in terms of dietary studies on looking at the effects of diet on mortality and person years of healthy life. So that's an important thing to remember. So the hazard ratio for all-cause mortality was 0.66 when 3% of energy from plant protein was substituted for that same amount of protein from processed red meat. And it gets progressively less distinct as you go red meat and then dairy and then poultry and then fish. The hazard ratio narrows, meaning it's not as impressive. But if you substitute 3% of your energy that you're getting currently from processed red meat for plant protein, your hazard ratio is much better. So essentially, and the biggest difference is for the processed um, meat, but it, it is there for red meat and for others too. And if you substitute 3% of energy, if you still eat any processed meat, 3% of that energy for the protein there, substituting with plant protein, your hazard ratio is 0.66 for all-cause mortality. So you're doing a lot better with everything. In the study, they didn't show a benefit for all-cause mortality by switching fully to plant-based unless there was one additional risk factor. But then your all-cause mortality did decrease. So if you were overweight, if you drink, if you have diabetes, heart disease, anything else, your all-cause mortality goes down as you substitute any animal source for plant source. They also showed that higher animal protein intake was associated with higher cardiovascular disease mortality, particularly among obese subjects and those with heavy alcohol intake as a subgroup. And in this group, the cohort that consumed more than 18% of their protein from animal sources had higher BMIs, less physical activity, and consumed more fats than the cohort whose animal protein consumption was less than 10% of their diet. So it seems that People make other associated healthy lifestyle choices as they decrease their animal protein consumption. And it can sometimes be difficult to tease that out. But nevertheless, all of those are good choices for your health, including reduced animal consumption. And so substitution of plant for animal protein, especially from processed meat, is associated with lower mortality for everybody. And so it should be recommended pretty much across the board. I think it all just really goes to show that protein source does matter. It just doesn't matter in the way that we've typically been taught. You should not be looking at a hunk of red meat as the best source of protein. It does have a lot of protein. It's protein that a cow ate as plants processed for you into their body as part of meat. And now you're going to eat that. It's not an efficient way to get your protein. You should do the processing yourself, build your own muscles rather than cheat and eat the cow because the cow has other things 
built in that aren't necessarily helpful. So while it does have a lot of protein, it is really not the best way to go. And I think we've got more and more data on that now. Um, And as we're starting to look at really the different components of diet, we're starting to realize that it's not just protein. We have to look at the whole diet and the whole health of people. So anytime you break it down into a single component, you may say, well, we need protein to live. Animal food has more protein than plants. Therefore, we should eat that. And if you stop there, then you've got a really simple answer that is not at all accurate. So you really have to dig a little bit deeper. Find out how much protein do you need? Can you get it all from plants? Is too much a bad thing? And does it help to get the protein that's already complete from an animal? Or is it better to get protein that is still complete? It's got all the amino acids you need. And it comes in a package that has fiber and it has other nutrients and it has other things that are good for you. Whereas the protein in a cow comes with toxins and no fiber and not much else that's good for you. So that is a bad way to get your protein. When somebody asks, where do you get your protein? I like to say, same place as a gorilla, plants. But you can do, you can get it wherever you want. You can answer however you want. But try to think about where you get your healthy protein, because that is really from plants. Another thing that I get asked a lot is, well, what if I'm training for something? I need extra protein because I'm working out. And I thought Tracy could answer this question for us. I try to get as much protein as I can from my diet and some of the high protein sources of dietary foods that I try to eat every day. Uh, I eat soybeans or tofu every almost every day. I eat flaxseed and chia seeds almost every day. I eat almonds and peanuts almost every day. And so among those things, I can generally get to that 50 gram mark every day. On days where I'm training a lot, and or I don't have time to really be diligent about what I'm taking in. I do occasionally fall back on things like a Beyond Meat burger that has 20 grams of protein in it, or I will fall back on some smoothie powders with protein in them. A couple of brands that I really like, I love Tailwind Nutrition's Recovery Rebuild. It's obviously vegan. It has a complete source of amino acids in it. And it has 10 grams of protein in a serving. So sometimes just to be sure I'm taking it in right after a workout, I'll use that. And I like Vega Sport as well as uh, Four Sigmatic, which has mushrooms in it as well. But I really try my best to just eat a good meal after a really hard workout or while I'm exercising to eat actual food instead of chews or gels. And so again, picky bars are a favorite. They have uh, protein in them and they're made out of peanuts and dates. And so I try to eat real food while I'm training. And if I can't, then I'll fall back on some of these kind of replacement items. But if I just look at the general foods that are in my pantry, almost all of them contain protein in them. And so a normal, well-balanced vegan diet provides me more than an adequate amount of protein. Now, I'm not a bodybuilder, but I am an Ironman. And so I can get through 140.6 miles of exercise on a vegan diet. And I've done it four times. And so it's definitely possible you don't need to be eating steak after every heavy workout in order to quote, put on muscle or to stay healthy, just not necessary. I think that's fantastic, Tracy. What about after a race? I get asked a lot about recovery. Do you eat a steak after you finish an Ironman so that you feel better? Or do you find other ways? Yeah, actually, what I really crave afterwards usually is salt and carbs. 
Um, and so I, I'm guilty of actually eating Fritos at the finish line, not infrequently because it's salty carbs and they are delicious. Um, and again, that, that tailwind recovery, I keep it in my post-race bag so that as soon as I finish, I can just chug that. And it has everything I need in it just to kind of replenish me for the moment. And then I'll usually find a giant plate of vegan pad thai or pasta or something else if I can. But it's really not the protein that I crave afterwards. It's the carbs because I have my protein stores. Like, as you said, they're constructed from my amino acids that I'm consuming. And you tend to burn up a lot more carbs and fat during an event like that than you do protein. And so the protein is important while you're training, but it's a lot less important sort of right around the race itself. I think that's a great point. And I, I believe it's Dr. Garth Davis and Proteinaholics that says it really well, that you're building the house, but you're building the house as sort of you're growing up and initially building that muscle. And we don't need to continually replenish the entire house, the house being your protein that builds your muscles, because we've already got that built. So we're not constructing an entirely new quadriceps muscle every day. We might be adding a little bit to it if we're really working out and really building muscle but you don't need to consume your entire body weight of protein every day to maintain those muscles because they just stay. They don't go anywhere. They don't get broken down. Um, and that's one of the things in, in McDougal's post too, where they look at starvation. And when you starve people, they don't break down their own muscles. They break down their fat. So this was deep in McDougal's post, but in a prison, um, when some people went on hunger strike, they monitored them until death. And they died with a lot of their protein intact, a lot of their muscles intact. They'd gone through all of their fat stores. So that's really what we waste first. So it's not an issue of we're not going to have enough protein to survive and a starvation issue. We're going to digest our fat, not our protein. Tracy, like she said, has done four Ironmans, all vegan, right? You were vegan for all of them? Yep. Very impressive. Yep. And there's tons of, as Tracy mentioned, there's lots of other athletes out there. You can find all of this stuff. Patrick Baboumian is the, he's the strongest man alive or one of the, he competes in those. And I like him just because he is one of those huge, huge guys and he's plant powered and he can, you know, move a car and lift all kinds of things. So there's no upper limit, even if you are bodybuilding. Kendrick Williams, I believe is the Olympian weightlifter that um, is vegan as well. So there are athletes out there, top level athletes that are doing it entirely on plant power. There's really no need to eat meat, no matter what level of exercise you want to get to. And hopefully you've all watched The Game Changers by now on Netflix, but a large proportion of the Tennessee Titans football team are vegan because one of their wives was a vegan chef and started cooking for the team. And these are professional football players that follow a plant-based diet and are not only getting enough protein, but are really strong and doing well and thriving. And so that's just another example. And there are certain times in life as a child, as a pregnant woman, potentially as an elderly person where it's harder to maintain muscle mass that you might need to adjust your protein intake at different phases of life. But for the general for the general public, we are mostly getting enough protein in our American diets. We're just not eating the right kind. I mean, that's a great point, Tracy. And one of the things that I like to point out with that, it, for for general Americans, we're eating somewhere around 20%, 15 or 20% of our diet from protein. Breast milk is 5% protein. So when we start out, all of the nutrition we need is 5% protein, essentially. And that is the perfect diet for babies. So as we get older, we start eating more and more of our calories from protein. We probably don't need it. For kids and for adults, you do, or 
elderly, you might need a little bit more protein, but it's still not greater than 70 grams a day. You know, it's somewhere in that maybe 65 range. It's not a huge jump. So we don't need to feed babies steak and we don't need to feed our 80 year old grandparents steak just to keep them from wasting away. They really can still get enough with plants. We will throw a couple of high protein recipes in the show notes that we like to use for our kids' lunches for school or things that we can package easily to bring to work that we can be sure will have a high protein content for us. And we'll do some, and we'll do a special episode later on for vegan athletes and what they eat if you're interested in learning more about that. I can't wait. Thanks for listening. And we look forward to sharing our next episode with you. This is Tracy and Eden signing off. Less meat means less disease. Go have a happy plant-based day.